So you decided you want to buy a gun, but how do you choose which one? You don't have time to test every handgun, rifle, and shotgun out there. NorCal Gun Vault can help you out. Yeah, the folks that work there are passionate about firearms. They hunt, they shoot. You can tell it's not just a job for them, and it shows in their ability to find the perfect firearm for you. NorCal Gun Vault is fully stocked with hundreds of handguns, rifles, shotguns, not to mention tons of ammo, dozens of accessories. Yeah, whether shooting is just a hobby, you're a hunter, or you're thinking about owning your first gun, NorCal Gun Vault has exactly what you're looking for. By the way, if cash is tight right now, but you really want to get a gun, NorCal Gun Vault will work with you to create a layaway program individually tailored to what makes sense for your budget. NorCal Gun Vault opens seven days a week, locally owned and operated. Check them out at NorCalGunVault.com. NorCalGunVault.com. It really matters when you're dealing with experts. Go to NorCalGunVault.com, NorCalGunVault.com. They should have approved health care last night, but you can't have everything. You know, I said from the beginning, let Obamacare implode and then do it. I turned out to be right. I turned out to be right. You gotta hand it to him, no one is better than Trump at claiming victories from overwhelming defeats. I could honestly see him at the end of his term saying, I always said I didn't have the ability, experience or intelligence to be a successful president. I turned out to be right. Well, that's not very even-handed. Uh, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. How you doing? Something weird going on with Russia. I thought uh, Trump getting elected meant we were going to be uh, all friends with Russia or something. Andrew Roth of the Washington Post joins us. He's the Moscow correspondent. Andrew, how are you this morning? Hi, how you doing? Does that mean you live in Moscow? Yeah, I've lived here for about six years now. Really? I've, I've visited Moscow about uh, ten years ago or so. And um, and didn't feel like it was really set up for tourism then. It's probably not extra welcoming to Americans now. You know, it, it's changing a lot. Uh, the thing I always like to say, and I think, is that uh, Russians really know about, more about American culture than, than even I do. I mean, you know, they watch films, they watch movies. Uh, English is getting better. Uh, just try not to talk about politics. Oh really? Yeah, I'll bet. The thing that struck me the most when I was in when was I was in Russia was I was shocked to see statues of Lenin and pictures of Stalin around. They still have that? Yeah, you know, uh Stalin less so, but uh this is a place that has a very complicated history. Uh, a lot of things have happened and it's not a long time ago. It's not hundreds of years, it's in the last hundred years. Um so to a certain degree, uh, it can be surprising. It can be a little bit terrifying to see Lenin on the street. Um, but there's also something to be said that uh, there is a little bit of the history that you feel like you can touch as well. So I always feel that, that same thing when I'd walk by it, too. Yeah, apparently we don't feel that same way in the United States as we're tearing down all our like our, all our Confederate stuff or whatever. But anyway, um, so what? Uh, speaking of Lenin, we, we had something happen over the weekend that goes back to the times of Lenin. It's been that long since we've had this many uh, diplomats kicked out. What's going on? Yeah, so you you know, uh, we're, we're working on, it basically has to do with this conflict that's growing between Russia and the United States. Uh, you know, Russia uh, was involved in intervention in the elections in the United States, according to U.S. intelligence agencies. Obama 
basically reacted to this by kicking out a bunch of uh, a bunch of Russian diplomats, 35 of them. Uh, the Russians put off a retaliation because uh, we think that Putin thought that he was giving Trump an opening. You know, maybe they could work something out rather than having to, to go further down the road. Uh, but apparently lost his patience with the sanctions bill that was passed last week uh, by the House, by the Senate. Uh, Donald Trump says he's going to sign it. Uh, and so finally on Friday, they pulled the trigger. And uh, rather than kicking out the same number of diplomats, they did something much different, which was to limit the entire size of the embassy. And this is going to be a huge cut. We're talking about hundreds of personnel. Largest forced reduction in the embassy staff since 1917, you wrote. You also wrote that it means that Russia has apparently abandoned its hopes for any better relations with the U.S. under the Trump administration. Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty big statement. Uh, you know, they did do it before Trump signed the bill, so it looks like a reaction to the Congress. Um, you know, I really do think that, uh, that Putin had some sort of hope that, uh, that Trump could, could change things up a little bit and maybe provide some sort of chance for Moscow to, to uh, have a better bargaining position with the United States. It's not that they think that he's really set up against them now, but I do think that they get the sense that he's a little bit powerless to stop, uh, you know, Republicans and Democrats, at least in the House and Senate, from uh, rationing up, sort of uh, rationing up the the, uh, the different sanctions against Russia. So if there was a sense that they were going to work out a deal, uh, it's going to be a lot harder right now. You're going to see a lot of bad news coming out of Russia in terms of these diplomats and also local Russian staff. They're going to have to fire 750 people. Uh, you know, these are people who have, have wives and kids uh, who might have to go back to the States or find other jobs. And they say this is just the beginning. The Russians still haven't retaliated for the sanctions themselves. So stay tuned. There are a number of hotspots where we're in conflict with Russia. They are uh, supposedly arming the Taliban, for instance, against us in Afghanistan. I watched a video over the weekend on how the Russians are continuing to take territory in uh, Ukraine, like overnight, they'll just move the the boundaries uh, between the countries, mm-hmm. and uh, and then also, of course, you know, most noticeably, we've got the whole situation in Syria. As that comes to an end, who's going to control what? Where's where's the the most noticeable place that we're going to have a conflict with Russia? You know, I always think that, that Russia cares the most about uh, the countries that are close to it, parts that it views as sort of part of its historical. Um, historical inheritance. We're talking about uh, Ukraine, we're talking about Belarus, uh, Georgia, countries that are in the former Soviet Union. Syria is important because Russia gets to show that they really revamped parts of their military, they're strong again, it's their first overseas intervention in a long time. But when it comes down to it, you know, the, the most danger I've ever felt in this country, and the time that seemed worse to me, uh, as a foreigner here, just watching sort of the mood, was in 2014 when uh, there were questions about Ukraine, there were questions about, um, you know, what was going to happen and what Russia considers its sphere of influence. And I'd say at that point in time, I was really, really scared about how it could all end. Uh, it hasn't ended well. And uh, I would say that Ukraine, you know, remains for them the most important question. It might not for us. And I do get the sense that the Trump administration isn't as worried about, uh, about Ukraine as sort of other situations. But I would always keep an eye on that conflict. It's really the most important for Putin. Interesting. Putin's still popular? You know, it's really hard to tell. I, uh, On the surface, yes. I always say it's a little bit like asking people in the United States 
Uh, do you like George Washington? How do you feel about Abraham Lincoln? He's more than just a politician. It's also a historical figure, right. somebody who's been here for 20 years already, uh, somebody who people see as sort of the last chance to help them out. You know, you go out into the country here and you ask people if they're happy about, you know, let's say uh, taxes, if they're happy about local utilities, they'll tell you, no, of course not. We hate our local mayor. We hate our governor. But if you ask them about Putin, they still like him because he represents for them something more than just local politics, their way of life. It's really about what do you think about Russia in general? So in that sense, yes, he's popular, but it can always change in a heartbeat. Have you read Secondhand Time that uh, from the lady that won the Nobel Prize? You know, I've read parts of it, but I've also uh, I've met Svetlana Alexeyeva. So, uh, so, you know, she's an incredible, an incredible reporter, an uh, incredible sort of uh, reteller at that time. But that book really opened my eyes to, you know, the people's lives. When, when the Soviet Union crumbled, a lot of people's lives got worse. A lot of people's lives. Yeah, we never really, you know, we never really kind of took that into account, I think, in the United States to the degree that it affected people's lives here. Um, you know, the 1990s have become this period of time that people really uh, think of as a kind of criminal, poor, dangerous, angry time. And, and the big issue is that's been tied to the other big, you know, force at that time, which was democracy. Uh, and if you talk to people today about it, I mean, the image of the 1990s, here in Russia now is, is dirt, mm-hmm. uh, and people think that they saw what democracy was like, and they don't want it again. Right. Yeah, interesting. Which is unfortunate because they didn't, you know, real free market capitalism never got a shot. I mean, what, what Putin's got running is not that, correct? You know, I mean, you, you ask who and how. Like, basically, if you, if you see normal Russians on the street, like I said, I mean, these are people who know as much about consumer products as you and I do. You know, these are people who know about the iPhone 7, who watch Breaking Bad, who watch Game of Thrones, uh, who know pretty much everything about pop culture that you and I do. But if we talk about making business and we talk about really top-level business, uh, if you're talking about, you know, your steel mills, et cetera, then you get really into the sense that, that these are companies that work uh, because they're allowed to by the government and they're supposed to kick in money. And they're, the people who run those companies are really put in power by Putin. Right. So it's a very kind of weird hybrid world, and that's that's what modern Russia is. You know, it's like you have all of the elements of kind of American style democracy and and, and capitalism, uh, but none of them are quite one hundred percent. There's always something a little bit off about it. Awesome, uh, cool job you've got. If I'm ever in uh, Russia again, I'm going to look you up. Andrew Roth of the Washington Post. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Um, what was I going to say? I had something interesting to say. Russia, Putin. Uh... Andrew's living there, statues of Stalin and Lenin, which is weird. That's, that's interesting. He saw, well, statues of Lenin, yeah, it's kind of troubling, but, it, you know, they see it as part of their history, a glimpse back of their history. Well, that's clearly not the way we handle it in the United States, where we're tearing down Robert E. Lee statues and that sort of stuff. And Lenin was, you know, about, about as bad as you can get. Um, what was I going to say? Russia, Andrew Roth, hmm, no kids sanctions, see cows. Putin, will kids see cows someday? What's Putin up to and Trump? Did it have to do with uh, things not being in English? Things not being in English, that's right. When I was there, nothing was in English anywhere. It was impossible. Um, the guy at the airport yelling at me, I'll always remember that. thought I was going to get thrown in jail. <laughs> I had no idea why he was so mad, but he was very, very mad at me. He said just to get a cup of coffee, it was like a monumental task. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It took like 45 minutes. It was brutal. Um, God, I had so- oh, so I watched the video. And I'd seen this before, 
They're in the Ukraine, which, as Andrew Roth just uh, pointed out, that's their number one issue is taking back their territory. In the middle of the night, they move the border. So you go to sleep at night, and the border's over there. There are Russian guards, and there's a fence, and that's the border between you know, uh, Ukraine and Russia. You wake up in the morning, and that looks like it's closer than it was last night. <laughs> they move the fence, and they just do that overnight. And sometimes it's on the other side of your house. So, well, I guess I live in Russia now. They're just moving the fence little by little at night across countries. Hey, honey, did we move? <laughs> Nobody's not really, and nobody is stopping this from happening. I mean, it's it's like it's 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 Bugs Bunny like or Daffy Duck like in its complexity, but uh, that is what they're doing, and nobody's stopping it. So I guess that could be good or bad, depending on what the laws are. <laughs> good thing or bad thing. I bet your property value goes up. <laughs> but they've just swallowed up towns that way. And you can see the border coming, little by little, overnight. Well, I guess... What are you going to do? What are you going to go out and yell at the soldiers and say, hey, hey, I don't do it. You know, it's weird. We went to bed Ukrainians and we woke up Russians. You wouldn't think in the year 2017 that's the way you would take land for your country. But that's the way they're doing it. Nobody's stopping it from happening. Very interesting. It's kind of hilarious if you don't think about what's actually going on. Um, so that's that. I will get to... What did I want to get to? Oh, yeah, that law against pedestrians looking at their cell phones. This particular writer says it's a myth that cell phones are leading to uh, deaths. People looking at their cell phone and walking into traffic. But these laws might catch hold because people are buying the myth. Stay tuned. For that and other stuff coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. When you see these thugs being thrown into the back of a paddy wagon, you just see them thrown in, rough. I said, please don't be too nice. Like when you guys put somebody in the car and you're protecting their head, you know, the way you put their hand over. Like, don't hit their head and they've just killed somebody, don't hit their head. I said, you can take the hand away, okay? The wacky comedy stylings of stand-up comedian Donald Trump as he addressed a whole bunch of police officers over the weekend and said, cops, don't be too nice when you're putting people in the car. Oh, my God. And the oh, my God. Liberal media overreacting, saying Trump endorsing police brutality. Well, you know, that is overreacting, but the the, 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 the president doesn't need to be saying that. I, I <laughs> Joe and I should say stuff like that. You know, you got some scumbag murderer. I don't care if you whack his head on the car. But the reason we try not to do that is because they might be innocent, you see, when they're arrested. And, uh, and you do have that case there in the, uh, was it Baltimore area, where they, they gave that guy a rough ride and killed him by not being... Uh, so it's just it's a it's a wacky thing for the president of the United States to say. Now, on the other side of it, the reason I wanted to play that was because that was Trump saying that was something that was kind of wacky for a president to say. Um, here's where the media is being the, the, the most biased on Trump. The stock market is setting another record today. If this were happening while Barack Obama was president, for instance, this would be huge news. You'd be hearing 
endlessly about the records all your di- different stock indexes are setting on a near daily basis since he took office. But because it's Trump, it gets almost zero coverage, which is really just plain bias. I think the stock market's way overemphasized as a measure of the economy. Joe and I have been complaining about that for years. But man, when it's their person and it's going up, huge. Or when it's, uh, if, if the stock market was going down, you'd be hearing about it constantly. And once again, in Trump's America, the stock market has dropped another 100 points. Ridiculous. You know what's also ridiculous? Laws that are supposed to make it safer. A lot of times, they're just dumb. Uh, I've been railing against the cell phone law for years and years and years because there are no studies that say uh, using a hands-free headset is safer than than just holding the phone up to your ear. There's no evidence to back that up, yet it's against the law in a number of states, including the one in which I live. Um, obviously, texting is incredibly dangerous and distracting and is a danger and should be against the law. But whether you hold your hand, cell phone in your hand or you have a headset in doesn't make any difference, yet it's against the law. Well, here's another that sort of thing, and I hope this doesn't catch on across the country. They've got a law taking hold in Hawaii, Honolulu specifically in October, where it's against the law to be looking at your cell phone as a pedestrian because pedestrian deaths have tripled in the last few years. As cell phone use has gone up, pedestrian deaths have tripled, and one poorly done study is being cited while according to the author of this article, and I agree with him, overlooking the obvious connection between cell phone use and pedestrian deaths, which is it's the drivers looking at their phones running over pedestrians. It's not the pedestrians looking at their phones stepping into traffic. There's no evidence that that is the case. It's all the drivers who are texting, looking down at their phone, and then hit somebody in the crosswalk. And that's that's what the problem is. And so to make it against the law to look at your phone when you walk across the street is merely inconveniencing people. It's giving police um, more situations where they have to use discretion to give a ticket to somebody for something that isn't making them unsafe in the first place. Let me present you a real life example, Jack, because I saw this the other day. A mom glued to her cell phone walking down the street and she was pushing her baby in the stroller at the same time. And you're against Should that? that? Be- She's not paying attention to the cars and the traffic, mm. and she's got her kid, her baby in the stroller. That should absolutely be against the law. <laughs> you don't okay. agree? I, I don't know. I, was, I, I don't think so, no. Well, there, there, statistically, there's no evidence that people looking at their phones is causing an increase in pedestrian deaths. Well, the, the, the walkers. The drivers, yes. The walkers, no. You know what? One-third of pedestrian dr- deaths... The walking person is drunk, a third of them, often underreported. A lot of pedestrian deaths, it's because the person walking is drunk. I can make it. The the closest I've ever come to dying in a car wreck is me being drunk, getting out of a cab in San Francisco. (laughs) I I opened this door and stepped out, and it's just, oh, I was so close to getting run over and killed. Yeah. It makes me, it takes my breath away just thinking about it. But, but yeah. there's all sorts of YouTube videos that go viral every once in a while. Oh, yeah, a person walking people, into a fountain. Right, mall fountains and manholes and As this person holes. points out, though, it's a, it's a media hysteria. You get a couple of examples, you put the video. There's just no evidence. I'm an evidence guy. I'm a statistics guy, and there's no statistical evidence to show 
that there's an increase in uh, uh, in traffic fatalities I think because people should, looking at their phone. I think we should make laws based on YouTube videos. Jack. <laughs> Some bold stance. <laughs> you know, we have time for this, so we should do it now. Last night, there was another episode of GOT, as it's called around here, Game of Thrones. And Sean has his 30-second Games of Thrones review. Season 7, Episode 3 of Game of Thrones, The Queen's Justice. A long and bloody tale, to be sure, but to be honest, I was drunk for most of it. That's said by Tyrion Lannister as he re-meets with Jon Snow for the first time since Season 1. It is an episode focused on reunions and revenge. Cersei Lannister continues her revenge fantasy camp as she continues to tighten her grip on the realm as Queen of the Seven Kingdoms. She is even unshaken by a representative of the Iron Bank of Braavos' reminder that her family's loans are way past due. Jon Snow does arrive at Dragon Stone for the first on-screen meeting. Stone. I didn't even get like that was like twenty-five percent of the way through. Is Dragonstone a town or a... Uh, that is the that is uh, an island essentially so, just off the shores of Westeros where Daenerys is uh, yeah. with her dragons. I've come to calling it Games of Throne. That's my new name for it. But so on Games of Throne were there dragons? Uh, this yes. episode, yes, there okay. were dragons and people who had not seen dragons to this point got to see them for the first time, which is always a big reveal because it allows the rumors to spread. Farther, no, no. They, they, these are fully grown dragons. They're huge. They're flying around and everything. I'd kind of like to see that part just for the kids. My kids, I think, would like to do dragons. Pretty scary, I'm guessing, though. You'd have to do a lot of fast forwarding through a lot of nudity yeah. and, and yes. murder to get There's to the part where nudity. your kids might enjoy yeah. it. There was, there was yeah. more nudity. nudity. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, how do they work it in? They just they just have a naked person walk uh, across the screen. Hey, everybody! Well, this this one was had the unfortunate combination of uh, nudity and uh, brother sister relations. So uh, incest is also wow, a, something yeah. on this. Sometimes yeah. the families you got to keep the bloodlines pure, man. Violence, incest, and nudity. Oh, Game of Thrones! Games, Singing my song, Games of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Someday, I'll start watching the show. What's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? Well, Trump issues a new warning to North Korea. How many hours a day working moms are clocking in? And Kaepernick may have a job. Coming up minutes from now, Armstrong and Getty. Is it uh, throwing a football for an NFL football team? It would be indeed. Okay. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. I've got the hiccups for some reason. I've never, I've never had hiccups just come on out of nowhere before. First of all, I don't think I've ever had hiccups in the morning. And I've never had them come on when I wasn't, like, drinking beer or... Right? Drinks. Yeah. you got to spit under a flat stone, and that'll get rid of it. Spit <laughs> under a flat stone. <laughs> or drink water upside down. Right. A spoonful of sugar, I think that's another... Water goofy. upside down I've done before. Stand on my head and drink water. I used to do that one. Close your eyes and have somebody scare you. Yes, right. right. I always tell my wife to scare me. Tell me you're pregnant. I'll give you the Heimlich. (laughs) The Heimlich. I've always found eating a spoonful of peanut butter to be helpful. You know what? That's not a bad one. I don't know why I have the hiccups, though. (laughs) It's weird. Let's get the news now with Marcia Phillips. Well, North Korea front and center on the White House list of concerns. Japan agreeing with President uh, Trump's assessment that China needs to put more pressure on North Korea. Trump tweeting over the weekend, and we have Vincent Nicholas, official Trump tweet reader, with the message. I'm very disappointed in China. Our foolish past leaders have allowed them to make hundreds of billions of dollars a year in trade, yet they do nothing for us with North Korea. Just talk. We will no longer allow this to continue. China could easily solve this problem! That's some... Sorry. Who wants to listen to somebody on the hiccups? (laughs) That's some pretty tough talk from yeah. the president on China right there. You know, it's 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 easy to forget since 
Trump tweets all the time right. that this is the president of the United States making a presidential statement. And he says, we're not putting up with this anymore on China. What, what does that mean? I don't know what it means. And Trump uh, reiterated that uh, same statement this morning at today's cabinet meeting. We'll handle North Korea. We're going to be able to handle them. It will be, uh, it will be handled. We handle everything. It will be handled. <laughs> well, is it similar to his, his military transgender policy, where he tweets something and then his actual commanders, when they put when you put a microphone in front of them, they're like, uh, "Nothing's changing." Well, over the weekend, Nikki Haley, our uh, UN ambassador, right. she said China not uh, doing anything. It's worse than nothing because it sends a message to the North Korean dictator that the international community is unwilling to seriously challenge them. China must decide whether it's finally willing to take this vital step. The time for talk is over. So the U.N. ambassador did say the right. time for talk is over with China. I uh, I don't know where that goes from there, but we're going to talk to Jeff McCausland, our military, one of our military strategists coming up in a little bit to see um, what's... Uh, Major Mike Lyons. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Mike Lyons. Coming up in a little bit to see what he thinks. I know he thinks a, a military intervention is off the table, but what else is on the table? Well, CBS National Security Advisor Michael Morell weighing in. I think the most extreme option is take out every nuclear and missile facility that you are aware of. Take out all of those weapons along the DMZ that would be used to attack South Korea in retaliation and possibly even decapitate the regime. Decapitate the regime. Wow. Mike Lyons has said in the past, and we'll ask him here again in a few minutes. Yeah. I mean, he's a he's an you know actual was in the military, is right. in the military military guy. He says it's just not possible to pull that off without having a whole bunch of countries involved, um, and you wouldn't be able to keep that secret. The only way you can do it is with the element of surprise. If you don't do it, just like out of the blue. They're going to use that stuff they've got along the border and kill right. a lot of people, like hundreds of thousands of people, including a lot of Americans. How many hours a day working moms clock in? Welsh's recently underwrote a research project that looked at 2,000 working moms that had Welch's kids. Welch's is in the grape juice. Yes. They, they, uh, under, they paid for the uh, project that looked at 2,000 working moms with kids ages 5 to 12. They uncovered that between work and family responsibilities, women work 98 hours a week with the average mom starting her day at 6.23 a.m. and ending it at 8.31 p.m. I don't know how it's that few, actually. Um, As a uh, parent, when I get home, I'm pretty much working as a parent the entire time. Always. Like over the weekend, I I probably put in as a working parent, I don't know, 60 hours? So I'm surprised it's that few, actually. Yeah, they say that working a 14-hour day, though, leaves mothers with just seven minutes of me time each day. Seven? Seven minutes. I'm pretty happy if I get seven minutes of me time. There you go. And NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick could potentially have a new team. Ravens owner Steve Biscotti, who spoke at a fan forum on Sunday, acknowledged the team is considering signing Kaepernick. We're very sensitive to it, and we're monitoring it, and we're 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 still, as Ozzy says, scrimmaging it, and we're trying to figure out what's uh, what's the right tact. And and so um, pray for us. Pray for us. Anyway, Kaepernick's an unrestricted free agent. He hasn't been added to a roster after controversy stirred up for kneeling during the national anthem last season. Beat your wife and kids won't even make the news. That's just the way it works in the NFL for some reason. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips here. I'm Strong and Getty Show, the voice of the West. That's not the NFL's fault. That's the public's fault. That's just what we pay attention to. I don't know why it is that way, but it is that way. 
Um, you know, I want to play that Mike Morrell clip again when we come back and get ready to talk to Mike Lyons, our military guy, and say, what do you think of this? This is that's that's some scary talk right there. That's a North Korean war is what that is. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty show. North Korea has never moved at the speed that this leader has to develop an ICBM to have a trajectory and maybe even hit as far east as Chicago. I make it as a clear and present danger to the United States. I think the most extreme option is take out every nuclear and missile facility that you are aware of, take out all of those weapons along the DMZ that would be used to attack South Korea in retaliation, and possibly even decapitate the regime. That's Mike Morrell, former CIA uh, number two. Now, North Korea did say over the weekend, if the Yankees dare brandish the nuclear stick on this land again, North Korea will teach them manners with the nuclear strategic force. So they got that going for them, which is nice. Let's bring into the conversation Mike Lyons, our military analyst. Mike, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. I feel like we're having the same conversation. Over. Yeah, like I said, I said the same thing on Twitter. So we're going to continue this conversation for sure. Over and over again, but but the but the the choices are getting more stark. I mean, we're we're just it's it's forcing us to have the conversation that we've speculated about now for a number of years, I guess. So I got this uh, here. I hit you with a quote. This is from a guy who is the um, uh, he's with the Eurasia Group. He mm-hmm. said we're uh, headed into a binary choice of accepting a nuclear North Korea, or conducting a military strike that would entail enormous civilian casualties. Is it that clear-cut? Uh, yeah, in some ways it is. I think Mike Morrell's comment is uh, pure fantasy. Maybe it's good for a James Bond movie, but there's no way we can press a button and have the le- that level of military strike and to be as effective without thinking that they could retaliate just because of proximity. They have uh, the artillery, conventional weapons that are pointed at the south, if they get any kind of nuclear capability close to the border, you could see um, a mass casualty there. But for sure, the issue is civilians. I've been saying that you, when the United States uh, starts evacuating U.S. civilians from South Korea, then the shooting is probably going to start pretty quickly after that. And I think we would be irresponsible if we started some kind of conflict there without evacuating U.S. civilians there. So, again, we've discussed this before. So for those of you who haven't heard it, Part of the reason it's fantasy is you say we don't have the capability to make that launch that kind of a strike on our own. We would need help, and to have help, you have to bring in a bunch of countries. There'd have to be a bunch of negotiations to get a coalition together. In other words, you would never be able to keep it secret, and if you can't keep it secret, it would never work. Yeah, exactly. You couldn't tie all those things together. I think we'd have to get the amount of military resources into the region would create multiple red flags there would be no way to keep that that a secret you'd have to send three i'd say naval carrier groups there uh with uh you know marines on the deck we only have thirty-five thousand troops in south korea i've heard estimates that we would need two to three hundred thousand uh of u.s forces to go with the rock army the republic of korea army in order to try to blunt any kind of invasion that would take place there so it's 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 again world war three uh similar the, the better now, the best analogy I can think of is really uh, May 1940, as the Germans invade 
both uh, Belgium and the Netherlands on their way to France, uh, the amount of of soldiers they have on their side, we'd have to match that and and use more, and our technology would not necessarily give us the advantage. How how many people agree with you? I mean, is your thinking in the mainstream of military thinking or out at the edges? Because I hear these conversations going on on radio stations and cable news all across the country. Is everybody living in a fantasy land? Because based on what you've been telling us for the last year or so, military option just really doesn't exist. Yeah, I think I think the military doesn't want to say it doesn't have the capability because then then it gets in trouble for doing that. But there's no question behind the scenes that's what they're whispering. Right now, readiness is a huge factor within the army in particular. Sixty to seventy percent of the units aren't combat effective. Uh, we, we've worn our military out over the past fifteen years. Uh, we don't have the active duty force that we once had going back to the Cold War era. We had seven hundred and fifty troops on active duty. So what we have is it might be good, but the bottom line is there's still no substitute for the numbers that would be required in order to to have this kind of a mission. You're not going to get somebody from the military to say that though, because they've got to they've got to put a stoic face forward. But there'd be great concern if um, if something happened again. I've I've heard from a three star out of his mouth that said if that happens, it's we're all going and it's the third world war. Wow. So you think McMaster and uh, Mattis would tell the president, no, no, this this really isn't an option. That I do believe that they would, uh, knowing the capability. Knowing McMaster knows the capability, as does Mattis, of what the military can and can't do, or what it can really guarantee. That's the issue here. Um, you'd have to have a, a 12-hour launch of epic proportions that, again, you'd have to preposition in, in, the, in this battle space in order to be successful. And then the only thing that would count as being successful is if there was no counterattack. Um, and you're not going to get that just from U.S. forces there alone. You know, I don't hear this anywhere else. It's interesting because, and I have no reason to doubt what you're saying is true, but if what you're saying is true, the, the, this whole conversation is kind of a waste of time. The newspaper articles, the conversations on TV, we're not going to do that. So we no, might as well I, only talk about what it's going to be like to live with a nuclear North Korea. Yeah, I think you know you could catch them further down the road, possibly, uh, but right, not right now. I think that that's the point where the, where the world is as well. You, you could argue that North Korea is also doing these missile tests as an audition to sell them and market them. Second and third world nations have to replace their Scud missiles that the Chinese sold them 20, 30 years ago. Uh, th- that's not good either, because what 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 the the real challenge is the fact that North Koreans working with the Iranians, working with the Pakistanis. They're bringing all the brain power together, and at that point, you, you, you pull that together, the next world war that, that hopefully doesn't take place, but let's say if you project it 50 years from now, the next world war could possibly be the first world nations against the second and third world nations as they try to gain a foot up in the nuclear world. And, and this would be a good example if it's, if it's not stopped. It doesn't necessarily have to be stopped today or tomorrow, but if it's not stopped in the next 10 years. Wow. That's a heck of a thing to live with a North Korea that's got a missile that can reach you know, halfway across the country or maybe all the way across the country and ha- and has nuclear weapons. That's a, that's a heck of a thing. I mean, because, you know, there are, there are other enemies out there. Russia's got it. Russia's got this stuff. A lot of people right. have had this stuff that aren't exactly friends of the United States, but they aren't shooting missiles off all the time. Yeah, that's right. We could wake up and just Russia decides, you know what, end of the world today, we, they, we're just going to start shooting. That could happen. And, and that's, uh, you, you know, you live in kind of that men in black world where you, you, people don't want, realize and know what's going on around them. But South Korea gets up and lives with it every day, and uh, they have been since the armistice that took place there. 
Um, I, I still believe that he likes his caviar and women, and he's not going to cause what would be mutually assured destruction on his side because our response would not be proportional. If he makes a mistake with one of these rockets and hits Japan, our response won't be proportional. Even if even if an unarmed missile hits Japan, you think we would go pretty crazy? Oh, I think so. I think um, I think the Japanese would go pretty crazy. I think they'd be, they'd want us to go crazy. I think it would give us more of a license. Um, we might we might use that and take a shot and and see what the intel says at the point uh, of time. But um, I think that would cause, especially if it if it caused any kind of casualties, the Japanese would have to respond. It would be it, it's a saving face. It's one of those you, know, you look in history and say that they'd have to do something because if not. Then the North Koreans would be like, "Okay, fire away! Here we go! We'll do. Here comes the next one." I, right. I think they'd have to do something. Wow, that is wild. Again, the most realistic talk I've heard on this uh, anywhere is from you on the Armstrong and Getty Show, Mike Lyons. Appreciate you coming on today. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me. That's interesting. I mean, I, I don't hear that anywhere else. I've read a number of newspaper articles. I see it on the cable news channels. Everybody's talking about what well, we do this, we could do that, and Mike Lyons is saying, "No, we we're not going to do that." The Secretary of Defense. And uh, the National Security Advisor, McMaster and Mattis, are both going to tell the president, look, we can't do that. We're not going to do that. It's a bad idea. So we're just going to live with, as Joe has been saying for years, by the way, Joe's not here today. He's playing golf at Pebble Beach. Uh, While the nation is at crisis, he's abandoned us. But um, Joe's been saying for years, we're just going to live with North Korea having a nuclear weapon and hope they're not crazy enough to use it. And I think that clearly is where we're headed. We are not going to attack North Korea. Just aren't. So, cable news channels, stop talking about it as if it's a possibility. It's just not. Boy, all these warnings we've been hearing from you for years. If they ever get a missile that can reach this far, or this far, or this far. Now they got a missile that can reach Chicago. And we're still just going to say, yeah, well, what are you going to do? They're giant, powerful military. There's still nothing you can do. It's a little hard to stomach. It's a proud American who's always liked us being the big dog. It's a little hard to stomach that we, we, we can't, there's really not much we can do about it. Anyway, this is not the end of this story. Of course, the real wild card might not be uh, Kim Il-sung, might be Donald Trump. Donald Trump does what he wants. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty